What's happening, you magnificent hominids? And welcome to another raucous, fun-filled episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, and we have a super fun, trombone-centric episode for you this week. The weather is beautiful here in New York City, and I hope it's nice wherever you are. Uh, be sure these days as we enter the spring and on into the summer to take your allergy medication and go grab some of that sweet vitamin D from our old pal, the sun. It's been a wild year. We've been indoors a lot, gang, but things are opening up. Uh, the clubs are starting to put on shows again. We've got a lot of outdoor venues putting on performances now that we can be outdoors comfortably. And I hope you're getting out there to see some of your favorite musicians as they emerge like a phoenix from the ashes into our new musical world. Here in New York City, Culture Lab LIC has been putting on some really great concerts in their lovely outdoor venue in Long Island City. And on June 11th, if you happen to be in the area, our guest this week will be performing with her group, Bonegasm. That's going to be great. I saw them the last time they were playing uh, back in September, I want to say, but I'm not 100% sure of that. And it was a lot of fun. It's always great to be out and to check out the music, and it's always such a a uh, joyous communal event for the musicians of New York City to be able to go out once again and and hear some great music and hang with one another again. Well, there are a lot of great performances starting to happen, and there's a lot of great albums always being released, but we're going to keep the intro short and sweet this week. Given I already gave away our guest, uh, we'll jump right in here. My guest this week is the great bass trombonist Jennifer Wharton. Jennifer Wharton is a ubiquitous presence in the New York big band and Broadway scenes. She is a member of Darcy James Argue's Secret Society and the Alan Ferber Big Band, both Grammy-nominated organizations. And she has also performed with an amazing roster of large ensembles in New York, including the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, the Dizzy Gillespie All-Star Band, the Ken Paplowski Big Band, the Diva Jazz Orchestra, Arturo O'Farrell and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, the Birdland Big Band, the Ein and Certo Jazz Orchestra, the Woody Herman Jazz Orchestra, the Terraza 7 Big Band, John Yao and his 17-piece instrument, Walking Distance, South Florida Jazz Orchestra, New Alchemy Jazz Orchestra, Stephen Feifke Big Band, and the BMI Big Band. That is quite a roster of musicians. Uh, Jen has also performed on a number of Broadway shows, including West Side Story, King Kong, Beautiful, Porgy and Bess, Jekyll and Hyde, Scandalous, Wonderland, 9 to 5, and Curtains, uh, as well as performing as a substitute for many other Broadway shows. Jen and her band Bonegasm just released their second album entitled Not a Novelty on Sunnyside Records. The album features John Fedchok on trombone, Nate Mayland on trombone, Alan Ferber on trombone, Jennifer Wharton on bass trombone alongside Michael Eckroth on piano and Fender Rhodes, Evan Greger on bass, Don Peretz on drums, Samuel Torres on percussion, and a very special guest appearance by vocalist Kurt Elling on the last track. The album also features some amazing compositions and arrangements by Michael Eckroth, Remy LaBeouf, Alan Ferber, Einan Serto, John Fedchok, Carmen Staff, Manuel Valera, and Darcy James Argue. Jen and I met up to drink some good beer and discuss her new album, her personal path into the world of jazz, and the very essence of the trombone. 
We had a ton of fun, and I know you will too. So, without further ado, here she is, Jennifer Wharton. All right, so I want to talk about Not a Novelty, the new record. Yes. But I think that there's a deeper, I think there's a deeper element to this that we can get into, that we sure. can try to capture. Yes. All right, and that is the very nature of the trombone as a part of our human universe. As a part of our human universe. <laughs> I mean, should we start at the beginning? Of, you know, Gabriellian well, shit? As, I'll say, as, uh, as it is Mother's Day, I think that really the trombone is the mother of the brass world. And I don't think it gets really the credit that it deserves for being the foundation, being the first instrument, the first brass instrument that uh, could play chromatically instead oh. of slots because of the slide. I've never even thought of that. It's really the origins of it all. Wow. But I feel like in society at large, it really does not get the credit that it deserves. No, it doesn't. And I mean, I, there's good reason probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, you know, you blow into the instrument and it gets bigger. It's it's really weird. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but there was a time when it was the most popular instrument. Is that right? Yeah, Tommy Dorsey. Mm, sure. I, you know, it was yep. the most, it, jazz was pop music and it was the most popular instrument and... Yeah, but I think, um, you know, when bebop hit, and there was a learning curve there. Yeah. With, uh, at least in the jazz world. Um, I, I don't think it's ever lost its favor in the orchestral world at mm -hmm. all, but yeah. It is, it's easier to do valves if you're playing fast bebop stuff. Sure. Yeah, but. you don't have to worry about the, the, um... I mean, you, you have to worry about it. It's probably less than we have to worry about the articulation coordination with the arm mm -hmm. position. Sure. Yeah, because you at least trumpet players have to worry about you know being on the right partial and being in the you know all that stuff we have to worry about too. But it's it's the um, added element of not having sort of like a notch to hit you know. Right. Yeah, but you we can also rely on our valves to get to the. I mean, the articulation on trombone you got to do you know you've got doodle tonguing for a reason or whatever mm -hmm. you got to be able to get around the thing without it sounding like you just you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, too slippery. Or well, yeah, and you can because you can go against the grain with like lip slurs and stuff, mm -hmm. which a lot of people do and do really well. But I can't doodle tongue, and and I honestly don't. I don't want to have to work that hard. <laughs> I don't want to have to. It's funny. I don't really enjoy playing fast. Okay. Um, if I have to play something fast, you know, I'll I'll work on that. But yeah, I don't dig playing fast. Sure. I, um, I'm sort of like the. Anti-trombone. <laughs> I mean, just it just doesn't speak to me. When I hear people play fast, I know it's impressive. I can hear what they're doing, and I can appreciate it, but it doesn't speak to me. That's not something I want to emulate. Mm -hmm. Sure. Is that what brought you in some regard to the bass trombone? No. What brought me to the bass trombone is I missed um, the day of auditions in junior high school. Because I was like either getting braces or had an orthodontist appointment or something. So uh -huh. um, I got stuck on last trombone and he handed me a trombone with a valve, like an F attachment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he was just like, you're playing this now. Okay. And, um, and that was it. Yeah, That's that was it. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And then I actually quit playing um, in high school. But the band director, when I started playing again, remembered that I had played bass trombone. Mm -hmm. And so he gave, he just stuck me on it and then said you're also learning tuba i was just like okay sure yeah that's pretty good huh yeah. so you've been playing tuba the whole time not the whole time but like not the whole time, time but but for a long time i started um in 1994 mm -hmm. and i didn't own a tuba until 
2004. Okay. Sure. <laughs> but I had played uh, a bunch. And now the tuba I own is a C tuba because when Lion King was coming to San Francisco and I heard someone say, well, now I've got to find someone that plays C tuba and bass trombone. And I'm like, I totally do. And I didn't even own a tuba. But I was young and dumb enough to, to just be like, you know, shoot for the stars. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I went and borrowed a tuba. And they heard me play. I don't even know if this was legal, like, because Broadway contracts are, I think they're different in, uh, depending on what local you're in. But I sort of auditioned for this person. And he was like, well, that tuba's too small, but, you know, it sounds good enough. So I went out and I went to the store and I bought the C tuba. <laughs> And that's still the tuba I have. Oh, wow. That's so yeah. nice. Sure. Yeah. How is it? Is um, C tuba as opposed to B flat? Or I guess E flat would be a different thing altogether. But well, so you, you know, you know, yeah, it's, it's it's completely different. And tuba players are used to switching keys. Yeah. But all in a the weird music, way. Yeah. All the tuba music is written in the same key. Right. But that's the weirdest. But tuba players will learn. Hopefully this is exciting to the listeners here. The specific <laughs> of the specifics of tuba, you know, technicalities or whatever. But. Um, but you, in trumpet, you transpose. If you go from B flat trumpet to C trumpet, you just transpose into a different key. But tuba players think of the fingerings differently. Yes. Like all of a sudden a C becomes a D. Yes. Or the, that, that to me is like t impossible. I don't and, know how you. Which was hard for me because I learned on B flat tuba. So trombone sure. is a B flat instrument, even though we read music in the key of C. Yeah. Um, so I learned B flat tuba also reads music in the key of C. So when I went to C tuba, I had to unlearn everything. I just, I went about it as if I'd never played tuba before. Mm. So now it's really hard for me to play B flat tuba. Sure. Even though I can play euphonium. Okay. I don't own a euphonium, but I could, could. play it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I, anyways, it's really, it's kind of backwards. And I don't like testing myself on B flat tuba because we were traveling somewhere with a band and um, a C tuba did not arrive. It was a B flat tuba and I had to play it. So I had okay. to write in fingerings because I just couldn't sure. rely on my, my brain to function in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder if it's, because I, I learned, I love the trombone enough that I learned how to play slide trumpet. And that was not easy. The slide positions you got to get used to, of course, coming from trumpet where everything's just a button. But at least the slide positions are just, all right, one and three is going to be the same as sixth position mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. whatever. Or one and two is the same as fourth position. So you get used to that. But then to have to go to a whole different instrument, is a, that's, a, that's a whole series of acrobatics. I have a problem with the name slide trumpet because it is a soprano trombone. Okay, fair point, fair point. <laughs> Especially if you're coming from classical world, people get very testy about it. Because there is a thing called a slide trumpet, which is a Baroque instrument. Oh, really? It works... Uh, yes, it's it, it's a different looking thing. It's technically a soprano trombone, yes. But I take my... Um, the vibe from that from Steven Bernstein yeah. who's just about the only other guy who plays yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Wycliffe does Wycliffe too, does. Yeah. But he, I don't know what he calls it. But I, I do You know kind of make up the rules. Well, There's Wycliffe like four play, of us. I, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I saw Wycliffe at a uh, trombone festival a couple years back and I was like, Wycliffe, I got him to play a contra a bass trombone. Mm, okay. And he sounded bad on it for about 30 seconds until he figured it out. Sure, And then yeah. he was, like, playing jazz on it. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I mean, it's crazy he's playing that little thing, man. Yeah. It's funny, but yeah, he, yeah. I, think, I think he cheats a little because he's using that trombone mouthpiece, you know. It's a different, but he sounds amazing. Yeah, he could play a hose. Yeah, you know, I think that's good. probably right. Yeah. I'll tell you, the, the, well, first of all, the tuba bass trombone thing also is a common double for... Um, show work, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, so you're doing that all the time. Yeah. 
What shows were you doing most recently? I was doing, before the shutdown, I was doing West Side Story, and, mm -hmm. which doesn't have tuba on it, um, but uh, the one before that, I did King Kong, and it did. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a terrible, uh, well, I don't want to say I'm a terrible tuba doubler. I enjoy playing tuba a ton, and I think when, I, when I'm doing it a lot, I sound pretty good, but mm -hmm. um, if I don't have to touch it, I won't. Sure. So, but I kind of liken it to uh, what my husband always says about you know, especially during the pandemic, you have to be ready to get ready. And I think I know mm. what that looks like on tuba because I've done it so many times. Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go out and win any auditions on tuba, but I think I do my job really well. Mm -hmm. So, sure. Yeah. And you have it and you yeah. can do it. But you don't have the same passion for the tuba that you do for the bass. Well, trombone. you know, I think I, I've always wanted, there's always things that I want to do on tuba. It's just, if no one's forcing me to do it and there's not money involved, you know, and there's no pressure, I'm not under a deadline. It's a lot harder to do anything in life. Sure. So if, if um, you know, I really want to learn how to walk bass lines on tuba mm -hmm. since I was, you know, for the last 20 years, I've wanted to learn to do that. And okay. have I done it? No, I haven't. <laughs> because there is literally only, I've only been asked once in my entire career to do that on tuba. Okay. And I was just like, oh, I don't really do that yet. And they were said, okay. And then they just moved on, you know. And it was, I think it was for Jeff Fairbanks. Um, he has that uh, street beat brass band mm -hmm. or something. Okay. Yeah, and, and I just never did it, so... Um, but yeah, maybe one day. I do, yeah. I'm still young enough, you know, the the old dog can learn new tricks. You can do anything yeah, at any time. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. It's kind of interesting, actually. Maybe trombone is, has come back into the limelight a little bit, what with uh, the resurgence of brass bands, like New Orleans-style brass bands now, and certainly tuba. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, if you played the tuba, you were, you know, you were at the bottom of the nerd, you know, pile or whatever, <laughs> whatever I'm talking about. But I nowadays, kind of like the the uh, the visual you just gave, the a nerd, nerd pile. A whole pile of yeah. nerds, yeah, but you're the bottom <laughs> if you're the tuba guy. Uh, but nowadays, you could really make a, you can make a living in New York as just a tuba yeah. player. Yeah. And it, as a trombone player as well, New York is um, such a rich trombone environment. You can't throw a rock without hitting a trombone player in New York. Yep. And even here, I live a block away from Elliott Mason, um, which is, you know, Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra or whatever. Right, That's, of course. It's pretty good. I'm living with a trombone player, and Elliott Mason lives down the street. That's pretty pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, yeah. It's, it seems as though Astoria may be the trombone mm -hmm. capital of the world. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, there, and, and some some folks moved away, too. Like Mike Boscarino used to live really close to here. Brandon lives close to here. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Schneer, Sam Blakesley. Um, and that's just on this side of 31st Street. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bustling operation here. Yes. I was noticing that, at, at, I think two years ago, you were doing Fetch Oktoberfest. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure every trombone player in New York is in this place <laughs> today. I was thinking about it like, if, the, if anybody had a big band gig that night, I don't know who was on the in the trombone section. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Oh, yeah, like, because uh, we start early enough, so even the Vanguard folks could come if they wanted to, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's fun. We've missed doing that the last uh, year, and yeah. uh, it's it's an expensive party to have. I mean, you know, you live near our our meat supplier, mm -hmm. for that secret party. meat supplier, secret yeah. meat supplier. Yeah, um, but but yeah, it's we're looking forward to that. Wait, here, should we do it? One, Six. two, three. Ah, perfect. There you go. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> 
And uh, I'd like to let the listeners know I'm drinking a Strawberry Dream Milkshake IPA by Southern Tier. Thank you. Mm. Send, um, if, if you would like me to um, plug your beer, send all, <laughs> all the uh, requirements to my booking agent. Perfect. We're trying to do that. We're trying to do that in the show. It's really trying to push beer. Uh, you know, we're trying to sell some albums and sell some cans of beer as well. Yeah. Uh, the whole process. Uh, I'll tell you, that's, that, I think it smells that's... incredible. I wish you had smell a vision. Smell that. Wow. Yeah. That's something else. It's got the strawberry thing. See, that's mm. what I, th- I think that's the future of, uh, of technology. Now that we've got 3D television that nobody uses, the smell of vision would <laughs> be really critical. Although, I'll tell you, especially for this particular program and all the jazz programs, it probably wouldn't be for the best. You'd probably no. Have to, <laughs> probably had to turn out the smell of vision. People do get that. a little ripe, especially in the. Uh... <laughs> In the recording studio, I had a. I just did a recording for Remy LaBeouf, mm-hmm. and um, because of COVID, we we did it sort of in pieces. And the brass section was there on this one specific day, and I got put in a room by myself without any sort of airflow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I wore deodorant today, <laughs> so I was kind of glad I was in my own room, but also embarrassed if anyone were to open the door. Yeah, you can't hide. <laughs> So I was glad I ran out of there real quick. Sure. <laughs> well, it has been interesting this year, too, the way that people have had to figure out how to do recordings and, like, you know, record. People have been recording whole big bands and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just Ma- piece by piece. Manuel you- Valera did it piece by piece, I think. Wow. And, and Remy did it piece by piece. He had the saxes, I think, um, with big baffles in between them. I mean, although, with like, when, when we recorded, when my band recorded, no vaccine. Mm-hmm. So it was get tested. Um, the entire rhythm section was isolated. And then John and I live together, obviously. So if we're going to get sick, we're going to get each other sick. Sure. Um, and Alan Ferber, you know, flew up from Missouri because mm-hmm. he lives there now. And uh, my the one person that wasn't there was uh, Nate Malin. He recorded entirely remotely. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how you, where'd you record it? We did it Big Orange Sheep. Okay. Because they had four isolation booths. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. When was it recorded? September, end of September. Okay. So yeah. you were preparing to do it in advance. We were supposed to do it in June. This was, because uh, I got a grant and the plan was to do it in June, have the release in, um, or or get it to the label by November. Mm-hmm. And then whenever the label was going to, you know, have the release. So when, when COVID hit and I contacted the label and I said, I didn't really even asked them if we could move anything around. But I just said, when do you need the album by? And they said, November 15th. So I called up the engineer and I said, okay, if we're doing it this way with a guy that's, you know, out in Jersey and everybody else in the room, um, how do we do it? And he said, I need a month. Okay. To do all the stuff. So we basically did that. We were down, uh, we probably got it in a couple days early, but it was mm. it was so much harder because of having the remote thing and not being able to rehearse. There was no sure. safe way to rehearse, yeah. especially with having one person out of state, actually two people out of state. Because mm-hmm. um, because of Alan. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's no safe way to rehearse. So we had two outdoor gigs with subs. Uh, the first one was uh, sub for Nate, sub for Alan, but everyone else was set in stone. Mm-hmm. Is that culture, culture lab? Yeah, that was Culture Lab. Mm-hmm. That was Culture Lab in... That was great, actually. Just as a brief aside, that to me felt like a really um, refreshing moment because so many... So we'd been in... We'd all been quarantined for like... Six months. Six months. Yeah. 
And then to go out and see everybody, even if we were like confined to little circles and we mm-hmm. would get yelled at for standing in the wrong place on the like outdoors or whatever, like yeah. it was a little scary, but it was that was a fun gig because everybody came out, you know. Yeah, we're doing another one. We're doing one on June 11th. Okay. So and that'll have that'll have Nate. Nate's coming back to do an outdoor gig. I finally get, he's he's vaccinated and uh, you know he's got he's got very good reasons for not wanting to um, uh, catch COVID. So I am I'm fully supportive of it. And I told sure. him we'll be here when you're ready to play. And I'm just glad that he wanted to come back and do it. We're gonna have sub for Alan because um, he can't make it up. I, I, he's in Tahoe, which I said take me with you. Yeah. <laughs> he refused. So <laughs> here we are. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you recorded everything. You didn't. Did you get a chance to rehearse it in any capacity? You must have, in some regard. No. Oh uh, well. Uh, okay. So uh, when John and I were doing some virtual big band stuff for it was a uh, Stephen Feifke and Bijan Watson have this Generation Gap Orchestra. Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna put out an album eventually. But uh, we were doing the and some of the music was pretty hard. And John said, you know, after a couple run throughs of this recording it, I know this music pretty well. Let's do that for your album. And that's what we did. We sent stems to everybody. Everybody recorded their part. For the rhythm section, it was the hardest because they had no idea what they were playing against. Sure. And um, then we put it together and, you know, semi-mixed it just so everyone would have an idea. No solos. Mm-hmm. So they could actually use the the tracks that we sent out um, to practice solos if they wanted to, mm-hmm. which was helpful. Sure. And then, um, yeah, that was the rehearsing we did. So we did that for every tune except for the two tunes we did in quarantine. I did virtual videos for uh, the Mike Eckroth tune, Bongasmo, and uh, Alan's arrangement of a Chris Cheek tune called Icefall. Mm-hmm. And so everything else we did. And a lot of the music we got post-COVID. So it was it was really... No, we had no idea what the music was supposed to sound like. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, considering... Our two gigs had zero rehearsal either. You know, it was pretty good. Yeah, uh, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's, kind of, it's amazing, you know. Uh, I will be honest, though, the post-production stuff cost twice as much as the first album because, one, lack of rehearsal. There, There's just there's just stuff you do when you're sitting next to somebody For that sure. you don't even have to discuss. Mm-hmm. Like, once you, you can see people breathe, you can see people, like, getting ready to play or how they're going to play something, and that's been... The thing that I've missed most is having that sort of connection to the music. And you can't get that virtually at all. Sure. I mean, you can turn up a track as much as you want, but you're not going to feel that thing. Right. Um, so in post-production, uh, we had to go in earlier than we ever would um, in a normal situation. We had to go in and stitch the tracks together that we were going to send to Nate so he could start recording right away. Mm, sure. And then um, he had about a week to get everything done. And he really, like... He listened to everything intently, was listening to John playing the lead part. Usually we split up the parts so everybody's not all playing lead or all playing second or all playing third. And this time we couldn't do that because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So John played all the lead in the session with no second player. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, you know, as a trumpet player, like missing missing part of your section really affects intonation. Oh, sure. So that was something we had to deal with. I think John mentioned it in a different, um, in a different, I think in the interview I did with him about like my meet the composers interviews Mm. I've been doing, but um, he mentioned that he thought that Alan and I were pretty well in tune with each other. So it made his job a little bit easier, but it's still, you're missing that second part. Sure. So, um, 
that was hard. And then to get Nate's sound to match the sound that we got in the studio. Right. Which was even before he ever pressed record, there was discussions with about his mic, about distance, about the room, about, you know, so that it was a lot. Sure. Because there's a lot of nuance involved yeah. in just trying to get the sounds exactly the way you want them in the studio. Yeah, and miking trombone is really stupid. <laughs> I mean, I've I've experienced it here. You have to set levels for the loudest possible sound, mm -hmm. and everything else, you know, has to be below that. And yeah, it's miking trombones is dumb. I've and I had I've had discussions, very brief discussions with recording engineers, and they were like, "Yeah, well, the shapier wave is this and." You know, the shape of the other waves is this, so it's like even, even um, just the the, sh the shape of the sound that we make is different than many of the instruments that they're working with. So, mm, sure. You know, have a whole band full of this. <laughs> right, exactly. Problem yeah. child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you something. The having a band. So the name of the record is not a novelty, mm -hmm. and it's not a novelty, and it really the the arrangements really work. But if you had a band of four trumpet players and a rhythm section, it would be <laughs> egregious. Like, it would be an offense to mankind. Done. It's been done. Yeah, but I don't think it should have been done. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can come up with an exact, a good example. Maybe you can prove me wrong, but even to have four trumpet players in, in any one place at the same time, What's you got to have at least... The, the Bill Chase uh, band? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the one exception. Okay, that may be true, actually. Yeah. That, that music is pretty impressive stuff, but... All in all. And then, you know, you can have a, a five saxophone band, but the, the dangers of it being, you know, a cheese fest are pretty, uh, are, it's a real danger. Yeah. But the four trombones really works. I, I think it's, well, there's, trombones are always playing with each other. Yeah. So I don't think it's something that is foreign to us, where I think, like, if you had four trumpet players playing together, it's oftentimes, unless they're a section in a big band, you know, it's going to feel weird. Yeah. If it's just that. But also... Um, the four trombones, there's precedent for it. Um, not only like in the classical world, but also in the jazz world. There's uh, the Russell Garcia stuff with with voice. Four freshmen have five trombones on that one. Hmm. But um, they uh, th there's a precedent for it. But it's also it's we can be many different things. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's before you even start adding mutes. We can be many different things. We can be like blowing the the walls of your house down, or we can be a really like super sensitive like wash of sound. Mm -hmm. It's it's all about. I think there's a lot of color to the trauma, and that was like. I mean, the whole point of the the band was to really try to um, push the boundaries of what I. I saw composers doing with trombone. Composers were sort of relegating trombone to a specific uh, function, and especially bass trombone. And I, I love the function that I serve in a big band. Don't get me wrong, I love it. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see what they could do if you eliminated the other sections and just only had trombone to deal with. And I think part of the reason why it doesn't sound cheesy is because there was not one person uh, writing all the music. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I tried to run it like a classical group where I'm commissioning people to to do um, pieces for the band. And also, it's people are forced into being more creative mm -hmm. because they can't rely maybe on, on the ways that they've written for trombone before. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
I've said this about a hundred million times. It's going to start to get to be a cliche, but um, I always say that uh, limitation breeds creativity. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you're in that situation and you have to say, all right, here's what I have for my instrumentation. What am I going to do with it? How are we going to be creative within this context and make it? But there is a, there's a certain versatility to the trombone too. Like I was listening to, to one of the tracks and it almost for a second, the lead trombone almost comes out like an alto saxophone or something like that. That, na- that range of the instrument is so different than let's say your you know, pedal notes or something mm-hmm. like that. Like there's all, there's such a wide range that you get a varying timbre and the whole thing really works. Yeah, if you, like, even if you're not a musician and you look at a piece of music for our band, you will often see the top trombone part, four ledger lines, five ledger lines above the staff, and I am four below. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge spread. Sure. You know, and, and you can do a lot in there and just, the kind of like pairing off, you can pair off different people. And and I think our, just, just the trombone players in my band have such different sounds. Like my husband, John, playing lead on this, on this album, he has such a, um, I, when he plays, when he plays lead, he has like a laser-like sound, but when he's playing solos, it's very soft and introspective, sort of like his, his personality, right? Mm-hmm. When uh, Nate can do anything, he can play super high, he can play bass trombone, tuba, like the the best of him. He can do anything on the trombone. Mm. Alan has a lot of um, color in his sound that none of us have, and he brings to it this intensity and just like um, raw, just just uh, emotion to that. And then there's me. Um, and I'm trying to really tap into some places that I haven't been before with my sound and it's helping. I'm studying jazz, uh, officially right now getting my master's, but, um, I hadn't before, like mm-hmm. I just lived in the big band world and sure. improvisation was rarely asked of me. So I didn't try to start learning until about four years ago. Mm. So it was, um, uh, me finding my voice, I feel like, is something I'm still trying to do. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But when I am in the role of bass trombone in a section, I know exactly what that is, and I know exactly what it sounds like and what it looks like. So mm-hmm. it's it's finding the other colors that I'm trying to do. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, I think it's really um, a kind of inspiring that you in your position with the uh, play. I mean, you've been, you're in like, a, you're a, let's say, an omnipresence in the big band scene in New York and you're playing shows and everything like you're a you're a professional and you said to yourself I'm going to go back to school to learn how to improvise or learn you know this whole other realm and that takes a certain kind of humility because it's easy to get to be an adult and just go ah I figured it out well I did that for a while (laughs) (laughs) um but I, I just I wanted to make my band better and I do you feel like I'm the weakest link? Like, okay, I'm the ringleader. I'm the reason the band exists, but I feel like I'm the weakest link. Um, and I don't want to be. I mean, I'm never... I, I don't want to exist as, like, a, a soloist. I don't want to run, like, a small group and, and have me be the featured act. I like what we do. Maybe somewhere down the line I'll enjoy it more, but I just want to make what we do better. Um, I want to make what we do more authentic. So... If I can add to that, I will. And and this, like going back to school, sort of fell in my lap. And I felt like, well, it was the right time because I had nothing better to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, op- you got to jump at opportunities when they come to you. Um, what was the origin of that? 
Uh, there was a posting in a, a female group that I was in that I'm now no longer in, but uh, uh, saying that this specific school was looking for part of their mission statement was to further women in music, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciated. Sure. What and school is this, by the way? Jersey City University. Gotcha. And um, further women in music, and they were looking for a master's student. So I said, I have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, why not me? And and that's kind of, a, someone said that to me. I think it was Dave Ridge, who was the bass trombonist in the San Francisco Opera. And it was when I was auditioning for college, and he's like, it's got to be somebody. Why not you? And that's kind of, I, I love that thought. Well, you know, we're all scared to do things that are foreign to us. And especially as a, you know, I'm a grown ass woman and I don't need to improvise. Like my life was fine without improvisation. <laughs> um, but because I started this band, I, I literally started it because I wanted to improvise on, okay. on a tune that Alan Ferber wrote. I thought it was so beautiful. It was like, I really wanted to learn how to play it. Um, and all this other stuff has just come after it and been fun and great and horrifying. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's always like, I'm scared shitless every time I improvise. I'm scared less than I was. Sure. Uh-huh. Every single time. I, yeah. I would, at a certain point, you know, I was like, I would say, oh, I'd rather be standing there naked on stage. Now, no. I Especially after COVID pounds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be improvising now. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I just it fell into my lap, and they were they were looking for somebody, and I happened to be that somebody. So, sure, yeah. and you'd come from classical world initially, mm-hmm. and then gotten into the big band scene. Yeah, I mean, I always played big band, um, even when I was studying orchestral music, mm-hmm. and it was just that's my happy place is being in a big band. Sure, mm-hmm. um, that's why I I will drop almost anything to play in big bands. I just it's. In my lane, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just so comfortable there, um, for, for usually, um, that I know exactly what to do and how to do it. Uh, and I never felt that with classical music. I mean, I, mm. I tried to fit into what I thought was going to be my world because I didn't see a lot of bass trombonist improvising in jazz, so I thought it wasn't for me. Sure. Okay. And, um... And come to find out, well, people were. It's just, it's just not a common thing to have bass trombone solo. So, it, but by the time like I got to be an adult here working professionally, I was like, oh shit, it's too late. And then uh, there were several women that came. Uh, uh, bass trombonists came to New York, and um, and then to a couple other folks that like really improvise on bass trombone. And I was like. <laughs> you know, I have to do something. I have to do something. And um, especially when when the other female trombonist moved to New York, bass trombonist moved to New York, I started questioning, like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my gigs because now I'm no longer the chick bass trombonist. And, um, you know, obviously that's not not true. That didn't happen. If, if people can play, they're going to work, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it was kind of... It's what I told myself, but it was also kind of how people were acting around me by when they saw other female bass trombonists and kind of they they wanted it to be sort of like a cat fight. So I had to really fight that that desire or ju- just that the um, not desire but the instinct to sort of protect myself. Sure. And um, 
And I talked to Ingrid Jensen and she said, you know, you need something of your own. And if you have something of your own, it won't, nothing can touch that. Mm. And it took me a couple of years, but this was what, what I made. Sure. You know. So yeah. this is, this is it. This mm -hmm. was your, it was that the, what was the inspiration behind starting the band? Is it the band, band is Bonegasm. The band is Bonegasm. Are, are you worried about, before we get into the specifics, are you worried about corrupting the youth with the, uh. Well, no, I never was. <laughs> uh, I never was worried about that because one, I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about that. And I don't really teach, um, younger kids that much. Uh -huh. I, maybe high school. So I wasn't worried about it at all, but people have gotten really butthurt about it. Really? Name. Yeah. Ah! That's awesome. It's kind of awesome. And it's I a little punk like, rock, honestly. I was just like, well, this band isn't for them. It's my band. Yeah. So. Are there any, I don't know if I can ask this. Are there any good stories of like, like what do people, people get upset because of the. There was at the, at the trombone festival when our band played, I guess it was 2019 in Iowa. Was it? No, it was in, I can't remember where it was. In Muncie. Yeah, there was a band director. Um, someone told me that they overheard a band director say they wouldn't let his kids come see us play mm. because of the name, the suggestion. And I've been told that, you know, I wish I could share this with my kids, but, you know, the name and the suggestive nature. And I'm just like, sorry. You know, I understand, but I, I shouldn't have to. Like, this is, it's everything about the band feels so natural and authentic. And I, I've said that that word, I think, probably once or twice before. But if I can't be authentic to myself, if I'm making music for other people, it's going to feel that way. And I don't want it to. Mm. I, I want to at least be true to myself, you know, because otherwise, what's the point? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this this really seems like a... a um an extension of yourself. Like you get to do what it is that you want to do and be in the role that you want to be. Yeah. And the other thing that's really cool about it is you get to commission music from all these really amazing composers that are, um, you know, important to you presumably in one way or another that you've mm -hmm. known for, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, this, this album had some folks that, um, I wasn't like super close with like Carmen staff. I I've known her for a while, but I wasn't super close with her, but I really just, I heard she had asked me to do something with her at the Litchfield Jazz Festival. She was recreating the Herbie Hancock Speak Like a Child. Oh, yeah, cool. That's some killer parts on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, no improvisation on that originally, mm -hmm. though. And she, right, it's only Herbie. That's an amazing record, though. And she asked me if I wanted to, and I was like, and so I, I'm very upfront when people ask me to to guest artist or whatever. I'm like, this is what I do. This is all I do. I don't want to be, I want to be upfront about it. You mm -hmm. know, I don't pretend like I'm, you know, a hot dog or anything, but <laughs> um, they, uh, she was like, well, you know, just, this is what it is if you want to. And I, and I tried, I, I did, I did uh, improvise over one tune, but then she had one tune that she had arranged for the ensemble. And I forget what the instrumentation is now is what seven pieces six pieces, eight pieces, something like that. Something like that. Seven, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And so I asked her right after that if she'd write for the band because mm. I really liked it. I just liked what she had to say. And I'd never heard, I don't even know if she's written for a big band. Like, I don't know anything, but I liked what I heard. So mm -hmm. um, she did, and it turned out great. I've gotten so many comments about her tune. I mean, it's the longest tune on the record, so I don't know how often it gets played on radio, but I've got so many comments about how people really dug her tune. Mm. So, um, which one is that? Just so we for the manta listeners. rays. Mm -hmm. I think it's number eight. I can, I can 
tell you, it's number seven. <laughs> number seven. <laughs> but then, like Manuel Valera, I've worked with him a bunch in the Terraza band because he's come in and played with the Terraza band a bunch, and I've subbed in his band once. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked his band stuff, and I could tell that there was a lot there, so I asked him to do a tune mm -hmm. as well. And he actually ended up doing two. He did an arrangement. He initially suggested an arrangement, and then I had him do an original, and then I said, can you also arrange that other tune? So I paid him for both. Um, and, yeah, I, we ended up recording the arrangement because I liked it more. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, so we still have another Manuel Valera tune that we haven't recorded. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. In the in the book, ready mm -hmm. to go. Let's see. So there's a couple other people that we should we should mention here. You've got Remy LaBeouf mm -hmm. wrote a piece, a beautiful piece that's actually been floating around in my head all day. Uh, da, amazing da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. That's killing. That's, do you know where he took that from? Is a Bernstein Mass. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, when I did, um, uh, he sent me months ago, he sent me sort of like a little description, a five-minute description of where he was inspired to write. And um, I really dug it. So that's that was inspired me to do like meet the composers sort of mm, interviews. Okay, um, sure. And uh, yeah, but... So I've been playing in Remy's band for a while, and um, it's one of those bands where I'm I'm like working hard and I'm doing all this stuff, but then you go and you listen to the music and you're like, oh wow, it's kind of you. Uh, it was hard to notice from inside the storm or whatever sure. mm -hmm. what what it was, and then you get to like take a few steps back and really listen to it, and it was so gorgeous. And I said, I you know I have to ask you to write and he was he was totally into it and he's super i mean he does commissions all the time so he was he was super on top of that mm. but yeah um so i've known him he's somebody i would say closer to uh ein inserto on on the record mm -hmm. i've known her since 1995 um she's my roommate when i was in boston okay NEC. NEC. yep yeah. my uh my alma mater yeah oh wait do you know ein uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know her from after my time at NEC, uh -huh. you know, at NEC. But oh, I... She might have left. She was working there for a bit. And oh, is that right? She might have left, yeah. yeah. Probably before my time. Yeah. That she, that she, she was at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. But I know, I mean, I saw her a couple times. I saw her group. Um, most recently, I was doing the, the NEC summer program. I was teaching there as mm -hmm. a trumpet instructor. And she came in to do a concert with a bunch of people that I've known for a long time. Mark Zaleski and, oh, yeah. and uh, John Bean and a bunch of people that... Um, and it was really amazing. I actually... Her piece on the record, uh, Blue Salt, uh -huh. I think that's the one, right? Uh -huh. um, that yeah, one was per particularly interesting because I've, I've talked to her. She's come on the show and done, uh, you know, I've talked to her about her process and everything. But before I do any of these, I really dive deep into the music. I try to listen, like really try to um, bathe in their music as much mm -hmm. as possible, try to get in their head, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was a really fascinating thing to hear that tune come on and be like, her voice coming through your band in a yeah. way. Like, to hear, all right, it's four trombones, but it's definitely Ein Inserto. Yeah, like, there's yeah, clearly yeah. her voice. Uh, but that's such a cool part of this. And I think the thing that 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 prevents it without question from being a novelty or whatever is that you have these, like, very, uh, I don't know, very specific characters of the people who are writing and then also the character of the group itself. Mm -hmm, almost like mm -hmm. a meeting of the minds where, you know, the, the band as you have it, the people that you have and the way that you've structured it, has this characteristic is its own character and then the people who can bring in their own thing it's like it's like a little party it's like a melding of like whatever these different personalities yeah um i think too just even the individual folks in the band i mean we talked about the trombone players but even the rhythm section so mike eckroth has like this whole 
uh, Latin life, Latin mm-hmm. side of Mike Eckroth, right? Um, that is pretty impressive. But he's, you know, he could play anything. And and then Evan has played with everybody from Grace Kelly to Dave Liebman, and um, and Don. Like I don't. Don is a super interesting. He does a lot of this electronic stuff. He okay. has a something coming out with Donnie McCaslin. Oh, cool! And it's super cool. I was just listening to some of that earlier, and. Um, yeah, so, but they all sort of come together as a unit to play this. What's probably, at least for Don, is way more straight ahead than he typically plays, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, but I met Don when he was subbing on a Broadway show. So it's just like all the colors that they have in their playing, you know, they can pick and choose mm-hmm. um, what comes out with this band. And I think they, they really bring a lot to it, especially like on the... On the day I tried to live, the mm-hmm. last tune on sure. the album, which is it's a grunge tune, yeah. it's a Soundgarden tune, and Don did that whole thing in one take. That's oh, wow. his first take, <laughs> and so you know it really was just like he let let it all uh, he laid it all on the line there, and it was it was really great. So it's I'm I'm constantly impressed that they'll play with me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> For so long, I just didn't, I wanted a, just like a straight up trombone quartet and I didn't think anyone would want to play with me. And I didn't do it for so long, you know? And it was um, it was a gig that we had in 2016 for our instrument company, John and I and John Allred and uh, another trombone player, Paul McKee. We had this gig at Jen in 2016 and it was uh, four trombones with rhythm section. And I was like, oh, this is... This is what I like, mm. you know, and I remember John posted a video from that gig. It was softly as the morning sunrise and because mm-hmm. that's it made it on our first album. That yeah. arrangement. That's a great arrangement. Thank you. Uh, well, I didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I married the guy that did it. So. <laughs> it's a pro play. <laughs> but he um, I was just like, wow, like this is my happy place, um, you know, in terms of like big band trombone section my happy place but it's also a trombone quartet and it's what i've wanted forever like th- it was a sign and it just sort of all came together after that mm, yeah. that's awesome mm-hmm. uh the last tune is a sound garden too there's two covers mm-hmm. tori um, amos and Soundgarden. Yep. My, my the loves of my life went in the 90s when i was an angsty teenager cool is that what was the the um inspiration for those tunes is you just like those songs and you well, thought it would be cool arrangements i've always loved that if anybody could listen to the twinkle like in its original form there's mm-hmm. like she's it's just basically one chord throughout the entire thing but um my husband has a way with the melody mm-hmm. like i fall in love with him more every time i hear him play a ballad it is just incredible he is you know he's an incredible musician yes but he what he does on a ballad it's just like his true self comes out on the ballad he's just a big softy and just the best human on the face of the planet so when he plays ballad i hear that and i hear him sharing it with people and just makes me love him more Mm. so i really wanted that tune arranged for our band and i sort of forced him into doing it um and uh I think he did an incredible job, especially with how little he has to work with from the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, like I would say that this is not the first time I've wanted him to 
arrange a tune. <laughs> but often he says to me, well, is the tune gonna sound as good without the lyrics? Because I tend to fall in love with songs mm -hmm. versus like tunes. You know, mm -hmm. I, so I okay. fall in love with songs. Sure. So many times he asked me that question and the answer is no. Like, uh, don't explain, you know, that song, uh, is it Nina Simone or something? Uh, don't explain. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a song. I've heard it. Um, there's an arrangement someone did with diva, but it's, it's like very sad, uh, but it doesn't sound good without the words. Mm -hmm. So, sure. um, but this one I thought did sound good without the words. And, um, obviously, you know, John arranged it and I made him feature himself and he, his, it's just so beautiful. It's mm. so beautiful. He just soars above the band. Um, even though we're in bucket meets. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of great to have that to have that bridge though between that song that you know and then also have this whole other world and be able to recreate it in this mm -hmm. kind of setting or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the Soundgarden tune. So that's basically a cover. That is a straight up cover. Yeah, boy, Except it really with works the, with the trombone, doesn't yeah. it? The intro and everything. But like, and the the weird the weird solo section mm -hmm. is is also super fun. Yeah. But yeah. So I talked to Darcy about that, and he just he was just like, well. You know, he's a master at trying to get colors out of instruments that, like, and and pairing it, like, using instruments that you just didn't really think. Mm -hmm. um, and so he did that with the beginning. It sounds, it's the guitar line. It's, it's the really guitar cool. line yeah, on yeah, yeah. trombone. Yeah, it's There's incredible. a couple other, is there, like, a plunger and stuff like that? Was there, like, a... Yeah, a, so Nate's in Pixie and Plunger. Okay. And I think, I forget what mute Alan has it. He uses, like three or four mutes on that tune. Okay, sure. <laughs> oh, sorry, dogs, dog uh -huh. shaking. Um, but yeah, he, he's had enough. He's going to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, so the the amount of mutes for that tune was pretty funny. But it creates, it's like a, it's a wild color just to begin the track. And yeah, and yeah I mean, it's it's a clear, uh, you know, it's, a, it's the guitar part or whatever from the beginning of the track, but. The, um, so, the radio promoter that I hired, I think he only listens to maybe the first 10 seconds of every track to see if it'll work on radio. Interesting. And so he... Probably he's got a lot of stuff. You know, when you do that job, you probably have this a lot of stuff you get to. But he listened to the first 10 seconds of that track, and he's like, no. And I said, do you know that Kurt Elling is singing on that? <laughs> and he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> so obviously he only listened to... Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he's like, the first, the last track is weird. That's what he said, his exact words. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. And it's unexpected, but that's like, we got Kurt Elling to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so, cool, man. It's a great track. It is it is so much fun. So that was inspired because I heard Kurt doing some like virtual stuff with Charlie Hunter. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And I was. I'd love to check that out, actually. That's a pretty wild combo. Oh, man. It was on Instagram. I don't know if they put it anywhere else, but um, he was. It was just. I love Charlie Hunter. I've loved him because Alan Ferber played. That's the first time I ever heard Alan Ferber. And John oh, Ellis right? was way back. I never met Alan in California, but I heard him in California playing with Charlie Hunter. Oh, wow. Because I knew the drummer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, so uh, I saw that. I heard Kurt with him, and I was like, wow, that's that's not usually what Kurt does. And so I contacted him because there is sort of a precedent for singers with trombone sections, mm -hmm. like I mentioned before. Sure. And I said, well, you know, we could do this. And I wanted to tend towards something that was left of center for him because I liked it. Yeah. 
And I said, we do this, we could do this. And I said, but we have this arrangement of a Soundgarden tune. He said, let's do that. And I said, would you want to be on the album? He said, sure. And so we swapped. Um, we swapped. He needed horns for something. Mm -hmm. So John and I did the horns for him for something uh, virtual. And then, yeah, he did my album. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a really interesting... First of all, he's amazing. Yeah, he's I know. He's an amazing vocalist. His voice makes me want to do bad things. <laughs> That that tune in particular too though is like the Soundgarden version is he's singing um, uh, you know it's a high kind of vocal part or whatever what Kurt Elling does with the whole thing and like it's it's a very low yeah. approach to the thing but it's very it makes you think about it man it's it's kind of wild there's that range in the, I think in the human voice that maybe it's hard to do live but people don't exploit that in the way that I think they should so when I hear people really using that baritone mm -hmm, range mm -hmm. it's like this is cool you know it's a mm -hmm. vibe for sure well it's, it's like it's a dirty sound you know it's just like it's it's primal that's sure. what I think yeah you know that's what I feel when I hear it it's it's like a primal thing like I don't even have to like the tune I'm gonna like the performance mm -hmm. because it's coming from your gut like yeah. from something deep sure yeah 100 mm -hmm. yeah that's wild uh the two covers we've got how, how much let's say did you have a vision for how this whole album was going to go in opposite like hmm, let's say as an evolution to the first album that you did well um it turned out that i mean because i try okay i've learned a lot about how to commission composers doing this because Interesting. Okay. quite often I would just say write for four trombones and rhythm section and uh it would be a happy accident that would it would be exactly what I wanted. Uh, sometimes it's not exactly what I wanted. Um Mike and I, Mike Eckroth had some discussions about a certain part on the first version of his tune that he actually ended up changing changing because I was like, could we not do that? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Which is I guess for a composer that's the danger of showing what you're writing sure. to the to the the clients now was your thinking just that it wouldn't fit with the specifics of the ensemble or whatever well it was it, it was one of it was one of the tunes that we actually had before covid so um when i heard it i was just like you know it just it doesn't seem like this section it's just sort of off-putting to me it just comes out of nowhere for me and my ear like i don't i couldn't really believe it Okay. You know, and, and hmm. that might be a, a failing on my part, totally. But he was just like, okay. You know, he, he taught it. I mean, he treated it like, okay, the, the client. Because, you know, I was paying him. So he was like, the client would like something else here. So he did something else there. And I thought, I thought I was much more comfortable with it. So I was happier. Hmm. But that was the interesting thing when I talked to Ayn about writing for my band. She wanted to make sure that, you know, I was happy. And it's sort of, that's that's the best way to think about projects. That's how I try to think about if I'm hired for any gig is like, I want to make sure so-and-so is happy with my performance. Mm -hmm. So as much as I might be butthurt because it's not written well, or it's unclear or, you know, whatever number of things I could complain about, sure. just have to make sure that person is happy. So I feel like for the most part, everybody was that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's a funny thing because as a composer or as an artist in general, it's easy to get attached to your own stuff mm -hmm. and to really want it to be an expression of yourself. Mm -hmm. But I also very much, um, I'm sure everybody's different in this regard, but 
I always like having those parameters and being able to say like this as a composer or whatever, or oftentimes people will call me to write horn parts for like, you know, whatever their reggae record or it could mm-hmm. be anything, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, uh, to me, I'm like, if you don't like it, just let me know and we'll do something totally different. Yeah. You know, you can take chances that way and be like, I'm not attached to this even a little bit, but everybody's, you know, it's, it is a sensitive thing, you know, to be like, all right, well, let's do it in a different way than you'd expected it or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and I feel like, um, if you can give that kind of feedback, whether it's performing or composition or arranging or whatever, it, it helps me as, as like a performer helps inform my performance. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd want that as long as it's not like, you know, malicious or anything. right. Of course. Yeah. 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 Um, but for instance, <laughs> well, when, when, uh, I didn't tell Darcy that cause Darcy's arrangement for our album was for me to do all the melody. Okay. It had no vocals. I mean, the vocal, the lot, the lyrics were in the parts mm-hmm. because he wanted everybody playing the melody to know what the phrasing that was. That makes sense, sure. Especially because, you know, John doesn't listen to Soundgarden, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he barely listens to lyrics at all. Um, but so um, when I decided to ask Kurt to do it, I didn't tell Darcy. I wrote like a vocal part for Kurt, you know, on Muse score. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I didn't tell Darcy at all. And then Darcy was like, well, let me hear the tunes, you know? And it was kind of like, it was kind of like I was no longer the client, you know, he was the composer. And I sort of feel that way with Darcy anyway, because I'm in his band. Um, but he was like, well, let me hear, you know, any rough tracks you want to send is, you know, I'd love to hear them and I wouldn't send him anything. <laughs> So finally, when it was fully mixed, I sent it to him. I'm like, please don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what did he think? He didn't know it was Kurt. Okay. He had no idea, which I think is is like a testament to how uh, great of a singer that Kurt is. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you would know. I mean, I knew going into it who he was, so oh. I was listening for it. But I don't know. If, if you just played me the track, it's such a different... I mean, I actually didn't realize that not that I, I've thought about it in depth, but like he's got such a wide vocal range that yeah. he can be, you know, he can disguise himself sort of in that role yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it is, it's surprising. But that's interesting. Did he, but he, um, Darcy must have liked it with the, yeah. the way the whole thing came He out. was like, when, when I told him it was Kurt, he was like, shut up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I was just so shocked that Kurt would want to be on the record. But I think he was, you know, he's just, I've known him for a couple years now. Him and his family, they would come on the jazz cruise where John and I were, and he's such a good person to have as like a guest artist. He would guest artist with the big band on the jazz cruise. And it's just someone that, you know, singers get a bad rap because um, many of them don't know what's going on. They don't know their arrangements and, and whatever. But Kurt knew everything, and he was just so into it and just so nice to everybody and just he felt like just somebody that you'd be sitting in a section with or hanging out with you know it's just Mm -hmm. i i really dug his vibe i dug his family his daughter and his wife and now his he has a son i haven't met him yet but he he's just a good egg Mm. and um plus he has that amazing voice sure you know yeah um so i was like oh shit any chance to work with him i'd love to yeah yeah you gotta jump a, on that shit. Yeah, right, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a perfect match. It makes perfect sense. I know. I'll tell you the other thing about that track that is really cool is the trading, where mm-hmm. he's trading. 
Is it with everybody or who's, what is it's the? me. Okay, that's you. Yeah, yeah, there's an effect on me because, um, and that's, uh, I will, you know, be honest about that. I, we talked about sort of finding my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, my sound is, to me, it sounds so classical. And I get complimented, okay, so I get complimented on my sound a lot. And I understand where it's coming from because um, um, there there are certain things that I love about my sound. But then when I go to solo, I think it takes away from like sort of um, stylizing my sound while I'm soloing would be would sort of add an element that I'm missing that I, I feel like I'm missing. So okay. we, we actually added a bit of distortion, like the smallest bit of distortion to my sound just to dirty it up because mm-hmm. he was dirtying up his voice. Sure. And um, I couldn't really do it on the fly because it's something I haven't experimented a lot with. So that's Trombone a little... distortion? <laughs> Trombone self-distortion? <laughs> but it's a little uh, it's a little studio magic. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're welcome to... Do, I mean, it works. You know, the whole thing, the, the colors of everything, you know, you could do anything and make it work. Yeah. Sometimes I think in jazz world, in acoustic music world, we take that limitations thing to the nth degree and say, like, this is the format that we need to work with. It mm-hmm. has to be a big band. It has to be this whatever. But so much, like, when you think about, like, Bob Brookmeyer adding a synthesizer to the band or um, John Hollenbeck having Theo Bleckman in the band to add that color to the thing, or, I mean, to just be able to say, all right, we're going to, who cares? You know, we're going to just add this little color to the, you know, the part of it. But it was also that, um, that uh, he was, uh, Kurt Elling singing, he's, he's using kind of the, he sounds like a trombone. Like he's he trying is to also, sound like a trombone, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a funny thing. You listen to it, it's like, wow, this is a wild, all of a sudden the colors get, well, yeah, wow. and, and when we heard it at first, because he did his parts first. Like, wow. it wasn't me blowing. He did his part first. Mm-hmm. Okay. On, on that. Um, because we knew, I actually, I asked him to do it. So we had to send the tracks to him. So I wasn't going to do my solo, or it was going to be a, stra- a scratch track, whatever. Um, so I was going to leave it up to him if he wanted to solo. And I said, well, you can solo here. And he did. And so we just fit me in, in between that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I had a little bit of like, you know, lead time on, on knowing what he was doing. But sure. um, uh, that's why it sounds like it fits together. <laughs> well, a little more studio magic. Well, the magic of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, But I mean, no, a lot of people don't realize that many, many, many recordings that we all know and love are done that way. Sure. Um, you know, uh, Randy Brecker does most of his recording from his home. Mm, so okay. any recording you see, well, I, I don't want to say that because I don't know him well enough to say that. But I know uh, one one year that Darcy and Alan were both up for Grammys. Randy was on a record that won that he recorded all of his parts from home. Mm. So, I mean, it's who cares how the, the cat was skinned? The cat is skinned. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, in a very... A morbid... Uh... <laughs> yeah, sorry, I know, you're a cat owner. I've had a lot of people say that to me recently, so it's in my head. There's got to be a better analogy. Yeah, it's like killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. Like this, uh, who's Why are we bir- killing who's throwing birds? Who's stones at birds anymore? Can we leave the animals yeah, alone? Yeah, this is what's happening. There's no dog analogies like that, No, because we like dogs. Human we beings like dogs. and dogs have that primal connection. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. When you are now... You've had many years in as a professional in this field as you continue and listening to music and being a part of the big band scene and everything as you 
learn more about improvisation and finding your own personal voice as an improviser. What is that process like? Like, do you think about the specifics of what you're going for stylistically, or are you just trying to express what's already floating around in your head? Uh, I think a lot of it is language. You know, um, they say the best way to learn a language is to immerse yourself. So like move to the country or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started a band. So that was my moving to the country. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and, uh, so for now what my, like my lessons look like and whatever, it's, it's a combination of, uh, my teacher, Rob Edwards, who you and I both know, um, trying to, he's trying to get me to learn some of the basic shit that everybody knows mm-hmm. and i'm trying to figure out if it's applicable to what i want to do because okay. often like he he said one week he was like i want you to learn mood indigo and i'm like nah <laughs> and i'm an old ass master student and i can kind of say that to him i'm like yeah i'm, I'm never gonna i'm never gonna do that well, <laughs> what about Mood Indigo? What are you, you just, I just didn't like it. Really? You don't like that too? I mean, I like you it can, to I'm listen not, to, but sure. I don't want to learn it. Okay. Not, I don't ever want to play that tune. <laughs> Never. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that part of your sound is how is what you don't like as much as it is what yeah, you do like. Yeah, and that's a part of like, the thing. I'm, I don't care about nah. That's hilarious. <laughs> Honestly, just because I feel like I've never thought any way about... I don't think that you're being um, hateful of Mood Indigo. Not at all. Not at but all. I do, I like, there's a part of me that likes the, the descent. Like, I really like the kind of like, no, I'm not doing, I'm not yeah. doing that. But it's funny, it's, I've never thought about that with Mood Indigo. It seems like such a, I don't know, it's like a part a, of the collective psyche or well, something like that. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, when, when you're, when you're teaching a normal student in college, you don't know what they're going to grow up to be. You don't know what they're going to do with that information. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of like, I know what I'm going to do with this information, and I don't want to learn that. Sure. You know, he can't argue with me. Well, you might need this someday. Nah. (laughs) You know exactly what you're going to need because you're in it. Well, yeah. In some respect. Because I I can actively choose what I do and don't do. Right. And, and you know, that extends to college <laughs> for mm. me as yeah, an old-ass sure. master's student. Well, now, sometimes it doesn't because, I you know, I, I was in a composition class where I got my ass kicked, but, you know. It yeah, was, you want that. Yeah. What would be an example of something that you're, you are trying to aim towards uh, on the other side of the spectrum? On the other side, so... Um, uh, I'm, I'm like... Uh, Cause I'm thinking, I'm thinking sort of, okay, well, how can I take what I'm learning and how I'm learning it and relate it to jazz curious people? Cause there are jazz curious people out there. What do you mean when you say that? Jazz curious, like people like me that were professionals, but kind of wanted to, they want to dip the toe in, but the ocean is a formidable force sure. and it is an ocean of jazz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm lucky I live with a very fine educator, John Fedchuk. He's had he had a music education degree, you know. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. It was before they had jazz degrees. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> He's not old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he is very good at describing sort of like looking at a tune macro versus micro. So I was just experimenting today with um, writing an etude on rhythm changes. Mm-hmm. Like, f- not just for me, but just for people like me. 
that sort of look at music in a certain way, mm-hmm. how I grew up looking at music not as a jazz musician. So you could play rhythm changes entirely in B flat if you avoid certain notes. Mm-hmm. You can play rhythm changes that no one ever tells you that. No one ever tells you you could play all those measures as long as you don't play these certain notes certain places, right? Sure. And and so I was like, okay, well, what if I approached my etude like that? Like every eight bars, I add an another element that they might need, or maybe it's like eight different versions of, of the same etude. Mm. So I'm trying to sort of learn how to learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, not just for me, just uh, for other people that might want to do it but also for the next tune that i have to learn sure so kind of seeing those things and i think writing helps uh i liked composition when i was in junior college and then when i went to nec i never did it again and then i never touched it like i basically never touched it since junior college so getting into composition again and studying with gary dial who's phenomenal and super fun he's like a salty dude Mm. but um it uh, really like it was like wow. It's opened up a whole new area of music that I had not. I I didn't think it was for me. Sure. So now that's amazing. I, yeah, and I can write etudes for myself. I can write things that uh, how to work on things. Um, I wrote an arrangement for my band. Mm. I don't know if I love it, but uh, I mean I arranged I. I wrote and arranged about two thirds of it and then John finished it. Cause we got commissioned by some, some jazz fans that are awesome. And they were like, well, write a tune. We're going to commission you to write a tune. Mm. So it's done and it just has to be mixed. Um, sure. It's just like all virtual, but uh, so that's like what I'm really enjoying getting into um, and learning and, and doing more of that. Um, there's, there's so much that I don't know, but I feel like most jazz musicians feel that way. Mm. It's, it's like an the more endless you know, sea of yeah. Right. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. That is exactly right, and that's one of the that is maybe oh I don't I don't know, but it's it's one of the things that drives me forwards in music, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to pursue being a musician because mm-hmm. you can learn to be. Uh, I mean, it, this it's probably true of many fields, so I won't bring up a particular field so I don't catch any flack from the people who do it, but. Um, but it's like in, being in a science because you're constantly going, okay, well, we know this. Let's figure out what else we don't know. Right. Yeah. You're exploring space. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. It's you never know, ending. Right. And I'll tell you something else that's about jazz music in particular is it's such a wide field. I mean, we have the whole, and one of the things that's interesting about talking to people in this, one, one of the, one of my missions is to talk to the whole wide range. You know what I'm saying? Cause you could be a jazz musician and be just completely immersed in uh you know old like louis armstrong hot and there five are those stuff. people and there's there are, a whole band full yeah, of them. there sure are there are many of them in new yeah. york that's a whole thing yeah. and they may not have any relationship with dizzy gillespie or bebop and then they and then the bebop guys may not have any relationship with any kind of like uh let's say funk or groove music or whatever there's a whole realm i mean there's like you know, you have like Mulatu Estake playing Ethiopian jazz music and like there's a whole, re- like all these realms. But I think one of the things that you run into is the uh, jazz, the, the whole jazz language has been codified in education for the last 50 years. So there are things that you're like, you're supposed to know this, but there's a lot of people that are super high level professional musicians who have just completely skirted past that without, con- I mean, and rightly so without consequence. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't matter whether 
Lester Bowie knew how to play, you know, a perfect rhythm changes chorus or whatever. Like, it's not the same. It's just two different worlds. Or whether Sun Ra was trying to play, you know, I don't know, Charlie Parker or whatever. It doesn't matter. Those are kind of meaningless. So where you're coming from, especially, I think, from a maybe like a classical background and getting into the big band thing, like, that's its own language. That's its own sort of formation of your own personal sound. Mm. That then to look at it as a student is a really interesting trajectory, I think, because now you're looking at it from the perspective of somebody who already has a vocabulary or a background. And now you get to sort of, uh, let's say, uh, bring into that whatever it is that you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and that's it's a responsibility I don't take lightly because I, I want to use my time wisely because I realize it, as everybody, like anybody that's a student, when you get out of school, you're like, oh, shit, no one's making me do anything. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do that, yeah. especially in pandemic times, I think. <laughs> But I, I have to say, like, uh, between the break, between the first semester and the second semester, I, I was doing stuff. Like, I wrote a couple arrangements for John and I, you know, for quarantine married trombone players. That's what I called it. <laughs> and, that's great, though. I mean, that's what... And it was just, it was a way for me to enjoy music that I haven't experienced. And it was so, it felt so fresh. And how often do does music feel fresh to mm, you? Right. You know, Being as a, in and out, you've got to search for that. And I think a lot of this came from, you know, okay, so I do Broadway, and from the outside, that looks amazing. And it is. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky every day. And and tomorrow, I might not ever, like, if, if my show closes tomorrow, I might not, not ever have another Broadway gig. That's just the way it works. Sure. However, um, when, uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. Playing Broadway, talking about uh, the... Um, you have to cut all this out. We're going to have to do this. Heavy <laughs> edit. That's all right. <laughs> the beer. <laughs> no, I'm leaving the beer in. <laughs> Part of the deal. Uh, what you're talking about, your, your, oh, your voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you do Broadway for, for a while and you realize, okay, there's nowhere to go. Like, you either... On Broadway, you're successful if you have a gig. And you're unsuccessful if you don't have a gig. But really, that, those are the only two options. Mm-hmm, sure. You either have a gig or you don't. And the only hope of moving up in the world is maybe you might be an in-house contractor. There's no other... That is the end. The The highest you can go is having a gig. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I was like, that's all there is? And I... I had a hard time for a while because one, I have a hard time just in general. I'm, I tend to be a depressed person. So I have to fight that a lot. I'm on medication. It's right here. Here, listen to that. Depression medication. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of, you know, ha- having that feeling like, is this all there is? That is just, it's a, a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And, and for me to, at this age, find something that excites me in music has been such a blessing. And I don't use that word lightly because I'm not religious, but it really has been been something for me to look forward to and be excited about. And um, God, I, it feels like it's a second life almost in music. Mm. And I really, I'm, I'm into it and I don't want to waste the time that I have now, you know, I want to, sure. I want to use every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that because I feel like it's easy in professional music world to get 
um, to take for granted the the music itself in a way. Like it becomes your job and you're just in it. But mm -hmm. for you to find that thing, it's like I'm going to continue to push this forward and to find my, you know, I don't know, to push into the unknown in a mm -hmm. certain way. That sounds to me like this is, that's really the crux of this band is the idea of like, you know, you have this opportunity to just try different things out and to push forward and and to find your own voice and to express this, uh, you know, all the different compositions from all these people that you know and, and taking like thing. a cheesy instrumentation, what could be incredibly cheesy, and and trying to make serious music with it. Mm -hmm. I think I think at some point I um, wrote like a tagline on something: serious music, seriously fun. Mm. Yeah. Know? And that's, I man, I think that's a, such an important thing, too, because it's easy in, I think, in academic jazz world to be very stuffy about everything that we do. I hate do. the way jazz is taught. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of teachers. Um, so my teacher at NEC I had known about for a long time is John McNeil. Oh, and, I love John McNeil. Yeah, and he, he does he's not... He's a darling. Yeah, and a, amazing, I would say, you know, genius, mm -hmm. but not not above having fun. Oh, God, no. And no. there have been a lot of people that I've had, I've been very fortunate to meet in New York that are able to take, um, a, you know, take a certain attitude about it and have mm -hmm. fun with it. But you, Dizzy Gillespie was not... This was not homework. He was up there having fun. Yeah. And he's a genius. You know what I yeah. mean? So there's so many people that have that mentality, I think. But it's, it isn't... You have to... It's, it's easy to fall into a very somber approach, let's yeah. say, to jazz world in general. It's... Um, I mean, you have to approach most... Like, okay, it can be serious. Like, I understand why it's serious. Because there's history, there's history that us as white folks don't even, like, we can understand sort of, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a, it's a black American music. Sure. Mm -hmm. And here we are trying to um, not co-opt it, but just sort of find our place in whatever that is. And, um, and it's a music that isn't appreciated nearly as much. It's the only American art form. Really, like like sure. music. It's only a, American music, and okay, country. No, <laughs> no one can see the hand gesture I just made. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also. I mean, I guess we could. There's a lot of other things that maybe come from that yeah, rhythm and blues, yeah. rock and roll, and, and hip hop, and all that stuff. But but, but jazz is is. I mean, it's. I feel like it's so important in the story of of America. And um, it's something I've always really appreciated, even though I felt like an outsider. And I still do, honestly, but I feel less of an outsider than, than I was. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's, that's my goal is to just not be as much of an outsider, sort of, you know, put my foot in the door or something. Sure, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Great. All right, speaking of having fun with music, uh, the album cover is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was the mindset behind? Like, how did you? What was the planning behind that, or whatever? Like, how did you do it? So I I thought about when um so the the name not a novelty actually came from the uh, one a review from the first album and okay um I've subsequently become sort of friendly with the the journalist that wrote it so mm -hmm. the guy's name is Dan Belowski and he lives out on Long Island and he wrote it's something to the effect like uh, from afar. 
this album might seem like a novelty, but the music argues successfully against that. And I was like, he totally gets it, right? Yeah. So not mm -hmm. a novelty, right? right? So I started to think, okay, what's novelty? Like Pez head dispensers, you know, <laughs> trying to think about stuff that was novelty. And I focused on a doll. So I started Googling like human dolls, which don't do that because <laughs> a lot of uh, questionable stuff comes up. Sure. It's um, a whole world. There's yeah. Also people selling. This is something that I only know from recently, but pe people sell on eBay like dolls that are inhabited with spirits and stuff like that. There's a whole world, weird world out there. Well, anyway, see, that sounds most that. like ghost stuff, which is mm. which I could watch, but I'm thinking like the 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 adult side of things. Yeah, oh sure, yeah, yeah. Um, however, uh, I did settle on this one photo where it looked like this woman. She was sort of had this like sad doll makeup, and she was looking at the camera, kind of like, uh, like making a face, and I was like, that's what I want, and I didn't really know. There, there definitely had to be Photoshop involved. Um, so I just, I settled on the the guy that did my first album photos, John Abbott, who's a famous jazz uh, photographer. Mm -hmm. And he's incredible. And I love him to death. He's so much fun to work with. Um, so he did the photos. Uh, and then the design went to Chris Drucker, mm -hmm. who works with Sunnyside and, yep. and a bunch of other people. And he did my album. Yeah, he's he's great. Yeah. But it's hard when I have, like, because some things he was suggesting I hated. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really hard. And, and my my vibe as a female is be like, well, maybe we could do it like this. And men tend to go, no. You know, they just say, like, nah. So I had to really put on a different hat and be like, this needs to do this. Yeah. Because I don't like the other thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I need to be much more direct in my communication with them. And mm -hmm. I, we definitely got what exactly what I was looking for. Sure. So it's, it's like a dollhouse with me being the doll and all the instruments in the dollhouse. And I, I think it came out well. Yeah, yeah that's great. It, it really captures the thing. Yeah. But I think you've done a great job in general with all of this of, of straddling that line between very serious music and also having fun with it. Like there's no reason that you can't have fun with the music that you're creating and also have a, a depth of emotion to the whole record. I, I I mean thank you that that's exactly kind of what I want um, I I'm a jokester but I do it because it makes me comfortable it, I'm a happier person if I'm making other people laugh mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I'm not serious about what I do sure but I'm just that helps me deal with like my my sort of depressive tendencies mm -hmm. so I'm always like I always feel better if I'm making people laugh but I also want them to take me and my music that I'm creating seriously. And so, um, yeah, I, if that comes across, I'm, I'm very thankful. And I, I try, John is always my gauge for that because John does not like comedy music. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. He is a serious person in, I mean, except with me, he can be funny with me, but, <laughs> um, but in most respects, he's not a fan of like comedy trombone, you know? Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and he's never once like blinked an eye at any of the musical choices I've made mm -hmm. with the album, which has meant a lot, you know, he's, he's always been there like my biggest fan, but also my biggest cheerleader and supporter and, and just, uh, it's, 
he's got such a wealth of information that, you know, he's, he's also my go-to person when I have questions about what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. So it's been really helpful. And, and I do, I mean, that's, if we're not having fun when we're doing what we are meant to be doing, what's the point, Mm. you know, sure. It's just, it's, it's, it's not okay. I've been super lucky, but it can be a very hard life at times. It's hard for all of us. Yeah. We're, constantly underemployed or overworked, you know, because when we have too many gigs, we don't ever want to say no to any of them. Right. Even though it's like a, to a detriment to our health or mm-hmm. sleep or our relationships, you know. Sure. It's it's such a it's a hard life being a musician. Yeah. And thankfully like you and I are both married to other musicians so they get the slog. They get it. That helps. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of passes that we get you know sure yeah i think sometimes about trying to explain what i do on the regular to somebody who came from the corporate world it yeah. might be a little bit i mean could it, be cool but it might be a little challenging i mean your trumpet is basically like another person in your relationship right exactly but yeah. she also your wife has all of her instruments yeah she's are, got a couple instruments yeah yeah so. there's a lot of people in your marriage <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but that's something we we constantly have to deal with because, um, you know, John's older than I am and I don't know, I'm not sure anyone thought he'd get married again. Mm -hmm. And so I come along and he to like, he'll want to hang out with me rather than practice sometimes or do what he's supposed to be doing or help me with something I need help with rather than work on his own shit because he wanted happiness for so long like you know and it kills me because part of the reason like i don't ever want to take away from who he is as a musician Mm -hmm. and that that's hard that's like a a balance that we still haven't found 11 years in sure (laughs) but um i mean he's just he's just the best of all humans so i can't complain i'm not yeah sure you know if my only complaint is that he doesn't do enough for himself you know that's (laughs) that's pretty good but for you to think about that and for that to be a part of what you're i mean that's a big deal that's i i probably the the nature of the process or let's say that balance is the process is just trying to figure that out yeah you know it's a big part of the relationship it's just yeah and thank god you don't have to explain to somebody i mean I, i don't know if about your family but my family nobody was musical Mm-hmm. My dad had a giant record collection that was about as musical as it got. Sure. So nobody understands what I do or why I do it or why I would drop anything to do a gig. I mean, it's their careers aren't their life. And I feel like for musicians, your career is your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to to make that differentiation sometimes, too, because you have the you have time off and somebody calls you for a gig and you're going to do it because you want to do it because it's fun whereas other people are like I'm on vacation this is my vacation week or whatever I mean yeah I don't know if you have this problem I have a hard time relaxing when I'm on vacation I have a horrible time relaxing yeah, Emily and I, we were on vacation She bought once. her saxophone on your honeymoon, or wasn't it, didn't she? We both brought instruments. <laughs> yeah, we're a mess, I man. I did, we, too. Yeah. I did, too. I got a pocket trumpet, so I could put it in the suitcase and bring it to Bora Bora or whatever. But, that is hilarious. Yeah, we were playing a little bit. But we were we were on vacation just a 
not as uh, not as elaborate as the honeymoon, but we were out in New Hampshire and we're on paddle boards in the middle of the lake. And she's like, you know, I got to answer these emails and stuff. And we're like, we got to do this. And we had to tell each other, like, this is not cool. Yeah, <laughs> we're on a lake. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing here to do. You got to stop it. But but there, it's a it's a blessing and a curse, of yeah. course, because to I've been thinking about that a lot recently, especially I think in, in COVID because we don't have the opportunity to interact with each other in the same yeah. way that we would normally. It's been a very uh, substantial reevaluation, I think, of everything that we do. I think for a lot of people, we've been really thinking about like, what are we really trying to do here? What is our career? You know, what are our careers and everything? But to me, I want to be perpetually grateful that I have the opportunity to wake up in the morning. Like, I don't always want to teach all afternoon. I want, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. sometimes, okay, this is a different thing. But I love doing it. You know what I mean? Sometimes, but I have to remind myself, like, this is a real blessing to be able to sit, you know, work with kids and, and, um, you know, I, think I, about I the do legacy. love it. I just mean that, yeah, exa- I think exactly. About your and, legacy, yeah. and bring, bring people into that world. Like, my day, I wake up and I get to be in that world all the time. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. But it can be overwhelming because you also, if you work a nine to five job, when Friday at five o'clock comes around, you're out. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Isn't that, don't you, I dream of, because I have had a nine-to-five job, and it it made me love music more Mm. because I had to do the other thing. But um, can you imagine if you could just drop the music thing for a weekend and not feel bad about it? Yeah. Imagine what that would feel like. (laughs) I mean, it's it's literally, it's like, it's... For people that don't know, it's it's like another person. It's like you're married to somebody else, or you're um, you have a pet with really sad eyes that you don't if you don't pay attention to it, or it's it's a jealous lover that will slap your face real hard when you come back. Oh, you know, yeah. you yeah. have to pay the price when you come back if you take time away from it. For that. sure, especially yeah. as, as playing brass instruments, yeah. it's oh an God, endless it's the worst. thing. Uh, so what's next for you? What's your next plan? So I'm, I, like I said, I'm writing, and uh, I wrote a commission. Hopefully, um, we'll get to play it. Uh, we did record it virtually, and I'm going to send that to the people that commissioned us. And um, I'm not sure, maybe make more adjustments depending on how I dig it. Um, mm. It's in harmonic major, mm. nice. which I learned about last semester. Okay, uh, I've never heard about that before. For all of you keeping track, it is a Major scale with a flatted six, um, which I wrote it in. It's a B harmonic major, but I wrote it in the key of D because I was thinking the relative minor, and then that's the wrong key. You <laughs> should write it in. You should write it without a key, I think. You should write it without a key because it, it's such a weird scale. Mm, yeah. Like people don't practice that scale. So, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to write more. Um, I have a couple performances coming up with the band. So June 11th, we're going to be playing in Long Island City at Culture Lab. Mm-hmm. And then in July, we're going to Iowa. We're going to have a gig in Des Moines on the 2nd, and then a gig in Iowa City on the 3rd. Hmm. In what, say again, what month? July. July. Mm-hmm. July 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. 4th of July weekend, mm-hmm. two days before Yes. In Iowa. What's going on in Iowa? Uh, so we were booked for the Iowa City Jazz Festival last year. Mm-hmm. And so they rebooked us for this year. So we're going, and it'll be the full band minus Nate. Nate is not going to be with us, but uh, Sarah Giacovino is going to mm-hmm. be playing the role of Nate. Who wrote a tune on the first album. Is that right? Yeah. Nate wrote a tune on the first album. Uh, Sarah yes. also. Oh, Sarah did too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, both of them wrote a tune, yeah. And she's a great, I keep, for a while when we were working together on King Kong, um, I was saying, okay, when is the Sarah Giacovino big band happening? <laughs> because apparently she's got like a ton of music written. Mm. She just, you know, having a band is a great way to lose money. And <laughs> Especially even, a big band. I mean, well, yeah, I have seven players and I'm probably going to lose money on this, but people don't realize that. No, I, they don't one realize of the, another that. thing that I want to do with this is just to give the people a little bit of a, of a realistic understanding of what goes into the music world. Especially nowadays. There's nobody coming out of the woodworks. John Hammond isn't coming out of the woodworks to be like, here's a million dollars to make your next album. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, yeah. Jeff Bezos. Is, I take donations yeah. <laughs> or uh, your ex-wife that her too. She might be on point. Yeah. She's trying to get rid of that money. Yeah. Or um, uh, Bill and Melinda. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for you. They want to su- <laughs> if the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation wants to support some trombone music, they, yeah. know, they know what to look for. I mean, come on. I was labeled trombone ecstasy. Come on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, cool, but, and then and, and you'll work it someday. You'll do another album, and yeah, I mean, um, so I already have a list of things that I want to do for the next album. I always have lists. I have constant lists. Um, uh, one I want to write, but I also I think for my so I have to do a recording project for my masters. Mm-hmm. So I have a year. My final for that, it's not really final. I get together and I meet with them and talk about my concept. And I think I'm going to do all music that I write for my band. But I'm not going to make it like an album for my band. I'm going to do it because I don't know if it's going to be good. Okay. (laughs) And I don't want to ask people to pay for something that I'm not sure is going to be good. It might be good, but it's – I think, you know – us as musicians, we shouldn't dive into something uh, without sort of vetting it first. Sure. You know, yeah. um, especially because this is something that I struggle with is that I'm working professionally on a certain level. I don't want to hear people to hear me struggle. And that's sure. really hard. Mm-hmm. That's really hard because that's the enemy of progress, you know, getting out and, and, and playing should be what I'm striving for. Mm -hmm. And instead, I'm very, um, very shy about putting anything out that I don't have complete control over. You know, um, I'm very, uh, I try to try to keep everything close to the vest. Sure. Because I don't want, you know, me like hacking through a blues somewhere on social media to be the reason I don't get called for a gig. It's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. But that's, I mean, it's kind of a great opportunity for you, especially writing, to be able to do the stuff for the masters and then mm-hmm. you'd be able to say, all right, this is an exploration, but there's no obligation. It's not like I have a deadline that I have to put this album out or whatever. I can explore the realms of the music that, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I can, you know, work and, and kind of, I, I like the idea of speaking to a broader audience of, I mean, cause you know, it's a trombone band, even though it's not really a trombone band, it looks like a trombone band to most people. Mm-hmm. So they think, Oh, well only trombone people are going to be uh, interested in it. And you know, to a certain extent that is my, my designated audience, sure, but uh, I, I want to speak to the people that maybe think that um, jazz, like, Kind of like I thought it for a while, jazz wasn't my scene, but it's not, it's not magic how people learn how to improvise. Right. It's not magic. And people aren't, I mean, most people aren't born with it. Mm-hmm. It is like 
taking your scales that you know and taking some rhythms that you know and combining them and finding the right combinations and listening and mm-hmm. and stealing from people that you like. Yeah. That's that's mostly what it is, right? Yeah, and, in the and, process and just And then doing figuring that out who you are within all that. Yeah. I mean, there's certain, like, there's language that you should know and need to know, and I'm trying my hardest to try to get to know. But mm-hmm. I also hate the idea of learning licks. Right. I'm with you on that. But it's a challenge because it's it's easy to learn all the licks and have sort of a cut and paste operation. But yeah, it and feels like the people that I, that are my heroes, I'm not going to be able to, you know, say, oh, here's all the licks that, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's about being a, a organic in your approach. But also, if if you have cut and paste, is that improvisation? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I, I struggle with. Like, my ideal of what jazz is isn't true often. If you listen to some of the alternate takes of J.J. Johnson, many of them start exactly the same mm-hmm. in the first chorus, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Not to, not to say that he's not a genius and he wasn't awesome at what he did, but but um, the to peel back the curtain and, and look in on on some of the stuff that we think is magic has been eye opening for me. Um, I want I want to find more of what I have to say, mm-hmm. and that's hard without sort of doing more listening. I got out of the habit of listening because I had a really bad experience in um, in. Uh, Master, my first attempt at my master's in uh, graduate school, I went to MSM and had a really bad experience. And I sort of like, it was like a part of my, it was like a part of me died, honestly. Hmm. And well, what happened? I had a really bad experience with a teacher. And he said something that sort of, we all have negative self talk, mm-hmm. but sure. he was like, what he said sort of confirmed my worst negative self talk. Okay. And I just took that was like, well, I guess I've been right all along, you know, kind sure, of a right, thing. Right, right, right. And Boy, um, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a real drag. But the problem, I mean, like, okay, he said what he said, and if I had been stronger mentally, I might have been able to be like, well, he's just an asshole because mm-hmm. he was, and most people hate the guy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, if I had had that point of view, I could have been fine. But instead, it, it's like part of my musical life died. Hmm. And I've been struggling to revive it since. Okay. And I let it lie dead for a long time. I did triathlons as a way to not practice for like 10 years. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so to, to really tap into something musical and enjoy myself again has been huge. But it's also super scary. Mm. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, how to even proceed. Yeah, it's been it's been hard and exciting and horrifying. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> all of even the in the midst of all the stuff that you've done yeah. up to this point. But that's amazing. That's what you want, and that seems to be the culmination, really, of this band and this album and mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, just keep making more awesome music and make people hate how much they love the trombone. That's that's what I want. That's what I, want. I want. I want more of that. Yeah. Uh, I um. I want to. I want to address the haters, real quick. I want to end with a with a quote. All right. Okay. Uh, now this is from this is from our buddy Hector Berlioz. Oh yeah. All That's right? a good quote. In my opinion, the trombone is the true head of the family of wind instruments, which I have named the epic one. It possesses nobility and grandeur to the highest degree. 
It has all the serious and powerful tones of sublime musical poetry, from religious, calm, and imposing accents to savage, orgiastic outbursts. Directed by the will of the master, the trombones can chant like a choir of priests, threaten utter gloomy sighs, a mournful lament, or a bright hymn of glory. They can break forth into awe-inspiring cries and awaken the dead or doom the living with their fearful voices. I just want to point out the orgiastic bone gasmic. <laughs> That's really the backbone Hector of the whole... Hector knew what he was talking about. He'd dig my band. 100%, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, Jen. I think, uh, I think we've done it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need something else to drink. All right, gang. Well, that was a ton of fun. Big thanks to Jen Warden for coming on the show and talking about her new record, Not a Novelty. Be sure to pick up a copy from Sunnyside Records. You will not be disappointed. It's a very cool record with some really amazing compositions. And uh, I was glad to get to talk to Jen about the process. All right. Well, if you like what we're doing here and you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Podcast. You can also find us on all of the other places that you can find your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like it or leave us a little, nice little review on your uh, favorite site. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at, at Bob Spellman or on Facebook at Bobby Spellman Music. Or on Facebook, you can follow the Jazztopia page at uh, facebook.com slash jazztopia. And we'll just keep on putting out some new stuff. Next week, we've got Stephen Fifeke talking about his new album, so be sure to come back next Wednesday. Check out the episode. Find us on YouTube. Check out all the old episodes there. Uh, we're putting up new stuff all the time. So I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope you're having a wonderful time. All right, gang. Well, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. See ya. Give me that secret bonus content. My neighborhood uh, bodega has an incredible beer selection. Mm, this looks like a good neighborhood for beer. Yeah. yeah. That counts for a lot. Yeah. All right, last thing I'll add is... Hold on, I'm going to wait. I'll, I'll add this in. Get I'll, that beer, yeah. I'll add the beer thing in. This has been an... I should make this just an, an integral part of these You should see there's... Uh, I'm going to narrate this. There are um, four and... and uh, uh, three and a half inches of head on this beer. He poured it not at a 45-degree angle. Um, it was a little steeper than that, which is why there's so much head. So we're just going to watch that. It's just, I mean, if you can get the beer closer to the microphone, you could hear hear the bubbles popping. I mean, this is really, it's, it's this is an incredible thing to watch. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. Enjoy this beer. I'm just worried because every time he does a long drive like that, he throws his back out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was doing that for a while. That was messing me up. I had a little back thing that I put in the car. I found out two things. One, my wallet was too thick, so I got this little slim wallet. And it that, is very cute. That it's dainty. It's dainty. Yes. I don't like to admit how dainty it is, but it is good for my back, comparatively. And the other thing was that Emily needs to sleep on, like, the fluffiest cloud. And that was, so she got oh, like a... a mattress uh, or a pillow? Uh, she got a comforter cover. She wants to feel like she's floating on a cloud as she's sleeping. She is adorable. She's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So she got I this... I want to put her in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ordeal. avoid a hip replacement. Yeah, I would say that's a good idea. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Music.
music. So I'll cut all that out. <laughs> <laughs> leave the part in where I said, Emily, I'm going to put her in my pocket. All right, I'll leave that part in. We'll yeah. sneak that in someplace. We'll put that as a bonus, <laughs> bonus part. <laughs>